Hello, and welcome into another episode of the Lion Slayer, uh, where we are not in person this week uh, due to the holidays. Uh, but I'm still joined by Kyle J. Andrews. Kyle, how's it going? It's going well on my end. Um, you know, pretty big day uh, yesterday that we had, um, but we'll we'll get into that, of course. Um, you know, big day for the for the show and for Penn State, I guess, um, just because we got a lot more to talk about now. Yeah, we uh, there's a lot, right? Like you said, there's uh, there's plenty going on right now. Usually, we would dive straight into Rutgers and what uh, you know what that game was for Penn State, but there's obviously much bigger news, and that is Penn State's ten year extension uh, that they agreed to with James Franklin. Um, the buyout numbers are twelve million. If Franklin wants to leave prior to April, uh, they are. 8 million if he wants to leave prior to December 31st of next year, then it drops to six and then it drops to two, two, one, so on and so forth. Basically after they drop to six, it's sort of the point of any program could hire him because, you know, most, most people are willing to pay that buyout to get a, a coach that they want to get, uh, especially at the level of program we would anticipate that would have interest in James Franklin. So what is, what is your primary takeaway from that extension? My primary takeaway is that, you know, no, he's not leaving right now, but that doesn't stop him from leaving in the future. It doesn't stop, you know, some other team from saying, hey, you know, we can poach him down the line. Uh, maybe this isn't the year that Penn State's at their best. Um, but it also, on the flip side, gives Penn State a lot of, uh, I mean, it gives them some stability to an extent. I think that now, you know, where you're going to be in the, in the near future. Um, I know, I mean, I, of course, I think, uh, you know, it doesn't hurt that you're going to have a five-star quarterback coming in next season, but now you, you know, you can see what that, that, how that works and, you know, see some of the other skill position players coming in. I think the offensive line is going to build a little bit more. So it's going to be intriguing, uh, but um, you know, they still have to see it all through. I can't, can't, I mean, stars and everything they're just on paper you know you don't know i mean guys can be four-star recruits and not paying out or five-star recruits and not paying out we've seen that with our own two eyes so you know can't can't be too sure about anything yeah and and i think the biggest thing with this extension like you said is that franklin definitely gets stability right penn state cannot fire him (laughs) ostensibly right like he gets paid out uh, what he's owed the rest of the contract uh, if he's fired, meaning if he's fired in three years. So with seven years left and uh, I believe it would be 56 million left, he would have to be paid out $56 million because it's the $700,000 uh, from the supplemental pay and the, the base pay and the million dollar life insurance uh, you know loan that they give him. So they would have to pay out all that money, meaning Penn State isn't firing James Franklin anytime soon. Um, and, and honestly, nor should they. Um, I, I think that's that's sort of lost in all of this. Like people are clamoring for him to leave. But it is hard to find a really good college football coach. Um, it is fine to it is hard to find one that is guaranteed more success than what Franklin has had. Um, I'm not excusing the the level of play. Like they they should have been better the last two years based on the talent they had and based on what they've done previously under them. Um, but it is there is. Uh, there's more downside here just because, you know, if you, if you lose James Franklin, things can go bad quick 
you know, look at Texas, look at Nebraska. You, you have to make the right hire in those situations. And I'm not saying they would like they very well could and get better and could get better. I just think that there is, there is reason to want to lock Franklin up. That being said, I don't know if there's reason to lock him up for 10 years when you basically aren't the ones uh, that will get to make the decision on, on whether or not he moves on. Right. Like this is Franklin maintains all of the power here. Uh, he gets to control if he leaves uh, Penn state essentially does not unless, you know, there are mega donors willing to, to donate a lot of money to fire him and that, Frankly, the, the donations of late don't point to something like that existing. Um, so I, I think the, the proper way to approach this now is what does it mean for the program moving forward, right? And you mentioned the recruiting class. They, in, in the release about the contract, there was uh, some explicit stuff in there about wanting uh, improvements for NIL, wanting improvements for facilities, you know, all of the stuff James Franklin talks about when he talks about competing 365 days a year. There were, there were, you know, read into it what you will. It seems like there are assurances there that they will try to get better. Um, the important thing for Penn State is that the program moves forward, that they, maybe James Franklin isn't the coach that wins a national title, but then, then the next coach, coach that comes in, they have to have what they need to do that, right? Like even if, if Franklin gets all he needs, uh, gets all he wants, you know, from a facility standpoint and still can't win the title, Penn State will still be prepared down the road to hire someone who can uh, and will have stuff to to sort of sell that. That being said, uh, you know, the I asked this a couple of weeks ago, but I don't know that, you know, the the sort of current state of the facilities is commensurate with the way they performed the last two years. Uh, and I think you can excuse last year like it's it was just a weird year. Things were strange. Um, but this year they're looking at seven and five or eight and four. And I think their talent level and their facilities and, you know, the, the, the place Franklin has built this program is, is better than that. And I think they underperformed. And I think that goes a lot to coaching. Uh, and so he is not excused in this by any means, but I do think there can be improvement from Penn state's end. Now, what exactly that looks like? Is it new analysts on both sides of the ball on the coaching staff? Is it, you know, better facilities? Is it some, some of the stuff you've seen in college football? Is it a lazy river somewhere? Uh, it probably shouldn't be. Uh, but, you know, is it, is it those kind of things? And what's it going to take? I'm, I'm interested to see. We'll talk to James Franklin tonight to get some of those specifics, hopefully. But it is clear Penn State is making a, a measurable investment in the football program. And I think that's what's important if you are a Penn State fan moving forward. Yeah, and they, you know, I want to see what what they do because I, I mean, that I'll be completely honest with you. Their, their facilities, in comparison to all their Big Ten schools, I mean, it's, it's lacking a lot. I mean, if my biggest thing is if Maryland's beating you in facilities, <laughs> that's not necessarily the greatest thing. And I mean, don't get me wrong, like Beaver Stadium is a is a gigantic stadium and it has a lot of you know cool things about the history of the stadium, but you know, there needs to be upgrades to the stadium. I mean, there needs to be upgrades to the practice facility. There needs to be upgrades probably to the team locker rooms and things along that those lines. I mean, it, it's just a number of things that they could possibly do to upgrade around the program. Those are just like, you know, smaller things. Well, I guess not smaller things. Renovations are always a big deal, but, um, you know, another thing too is just um, trying to modernize a lot of the stuff 
that kind of goes on. And I think that's, that also goes with a mindset too. I think a lot of people are, you know, and this is from an outsider's perspective. I think a lot of people expect something that hasn't been there for a very long time. You know, it hasn't been, you know, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, you know, this is, those two national championships were eons ago, <laughs> you know, that wasn't, that wasn't recently. That's not who your program's been for a very long time now. And I think the problem is that so many people are stuck in that mindset of, Oh, this happened back then. But what about the 21st century? What about the past decade? You know? And honestly, I mean, if, if you compare it to the beginning of the past decade, I mean, this program is so further along from that point than they were back then with everything that happened when it comes to the scandal and and things along that nature, that the fact that you now have a coach that has stabilized that program and and put them in a direction that I think is they're definitely better off than what they were. So I think at this point now, you have to make, you have to make, everything that you've done at this point and continue to build off of it. They have to be progressive with their building onto, you know, the program and things like that. And I mean, nobody's going to want to go to a facility that, (laughs) you know, looks like a, um, you know, it looks like a 1980s facility. I'm sorry. Like, I mean, there's certain things that could be upgraded that it just, it's not done yet. And I I think that it'll, it'll, you know, as time goes on, things will get better, but they need to they need to make sure that they are competing. Like, I mean, even though what Franklin said may come off as cliche to say we want to compete 364 days of the year. Yes. I mean, you have to, you know, you can you got to be on those levels of an LSU, a, you know, a USC, two schools that certain people, I mean, a lot of people thought Franklin would consider would be considered for those two jobs. Um, you know, you have to be able to compete on the levels of, uh, you know, if Penn state truly thinks that they are on a level of Alabama or their fans think they're on a level of Alabama or that they could be, then you have to start spending the money like it. You know, you can't just say, all right, well, we're just, and, and maybe I'm off base. I don't know. I think, I think that if you really want to, if you really want to be on those teams levels, even in Ohio State's level, you have to spend the money. You can't just sit there and be like, okay, well, all right, well, we got we got the players. We just – that's all we need. We're going to work out with, uh, you know, stone dumbbells. <laughs> like, you, you can't do that. Yeah, and, and they, the facilities aren't, like, state-of-the-art modern facilities, but – you know, I wouldn't go as far back as the 80s. Like, they're still mid-2000s, you know what I mean? Like, maybe 10 to 15 years outdated. And now things move quick, right? And that will seem outdated. Uh, and, but, and there have been upgrades still there for the, in the last 10 years that they've made. Uh, you know, to be on that level, they would need to make more. But, you know, I, I think the biggest difference between Penn State and Alabama and Ohio State and Georgia is that James Franklin isn't Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, or Ryan Day, right? Like, uh, those guys are you know, 
better recruiters, better coaches. And that's okay. Like that's the three of the best coaches in college football. That's not saying Franklin isn't a top 10 coach. He probably is probably top 10 to 15, somewhere in that range. Um, but they are in a tier sort of by themselves. And that's the other part of this, right? You can, he has the motivation to get there, like to get to that point, to get the program to that point, it seems. Um, but at the end of the day, you have to be able to put the results out there. Um, and we are in year eight and, uh, you know, it's year eight of a tenure that has been mostly successful, but it's still probably ending seven and five or eight and four. And you have to look at how that happens and, and why it happens. And, you know, for, for all of the facility stuff, they didn't go eight and four, seven and five because of facilities, right? Like they, they didn't go uh, and lose to Illinois because of facilities. They didn't uh, have an unprepared quarterback room because of facilities. They, they did it. The quarterback situation was missed talent evaluation. Uh, it was missteps in, in recruiting, uh, whether that be the transfer portal or the, you know, in, or out of high school class um, that, that sort of caused those issues that, you know, cures at least one of those wins in Illinois, right? You beat Illinois with a competent quarterback. You might even beat Iowa with a competent quarterback for the full game. Uh, and, and things could have changed pretty quickly um, instead of snowballing in the way they did. So like at the end of the day, the facilities are, you, you need to be, you need to hit a certain threshold to compete at a national level. I just don't know that we can attribute what has happened right to that. Like, and, and I get it. Kids, kids want to play with, the, you know, in the, the best stadiums. They want to, uh, they want to work out in the best weight rooms. They want to have the best, like, you know, lounges and everything like that. But Penn State has recruited well. Like, it's not like they've been pulling in top 40, 50 classes. These have still generally been top 15 to 20 classes um, and a couple higher ones. Uh, now you need to consistently get top five to top 10 to, to really build upon itself and, and to have a consistent, stable program. But, but right now they, you know, they're doing enough to be, I would say, a top 10 team in the country consistently. And this year they're not a top 10 team in the country. Uh, and, and I think that is a problem. now. I think the biggest thing and the biggest reason for Penn State to do this has to do with something that, that could be coming in a few years, and that's playoff expansion. I think a lot of programs would be smart to just hang on to what they have if they can consistently be top 10 to 15 programs and just consistently make the playoff in years to come because it's a lot harder to find those top four guys than it is to find top 12 guys. And if you got a guy – that you think is a top 12 head coach uh, and you think he can lead you to a 12 team playoff, then you should probably hold on to him. Now, if that time comes and the playoff expands and, and Franklin isn't able to make it, then, you know, that, that, that conversation can change. But I think as of right now, they probably have a head coach who can get you to the top 12 fairly consistently. And they probably will get enough investment now to get you to the level to increase your recruiting uh, rankings enough, right? Like a little bit. Um, now they need to produce it on the field because if they go out next year and it looks like this year, or if they go out the next two years and it looks like this year, then like, you know, at, at some point the the facilities can only take so much of the blame and, and you have to kind of look in the mirror because I, I like Mike Yurcich's offense. I think it's executed. Uh, it's execution hasn't been great this year, but they're way worse offensively this year than they were last year. And that is alarming. Because Kirk Shiraka had less time to fold in his offense, less time to teach guys, less time to work with guys. Um, and he had, you know, 
I would argue, less talent than the offense has this year. And he did more with it. And that's got to be a concern for Penn State. Um, you know, I, I would assume Mike Yurcich will have more time to work in his offense and more time to get his quarterback and, you know, guys he, he wants. And Drew Aller might be that guy. Uh, Christian Veyu showed Saturday he could be that guy as well. Uh, but I do think that there is reason for concern outside of like the facility stuff that has become so centric to the discussion that like you get looks when you bring up anything else. But I do think like at some point coaching has to take responsibility too for the way things have gone. And again, I'm, I'm willing to wipe out last year because it was weird and everything was strange, but this year, like, frankly, they just should have been better. Oh no, I don't disagree with that one bit that, you know, he has to take responsibility for a lot of the stuff that's going on. Um, coaching wise, especially. Um, and I think too, like the fact that the offensive line took such a huge step back. I mean, that offensive, I'll, I'll say this about Franklin too, is that I think offensive line recruiting, you know, the, the battles are always one up front. Who are the, who are the teams that are always at their best that are, that are top offensive line groups, you know, um, you know, every time I see Georgia's offensive line, I see them all people halfway to death. <laughs> Alabama, you know, Ohio State, those schools all have very strong offensive lines. I mean, even even Cincinnati this year, their offensive line has played pretty well. And I, I mean, I think that's what you need to be able to get to that next level. And the offensive line just frankly hasn't been good this season. And, you know, a lot of that, I mean, sometimes – I understand that James Franklin is a, you know, he's a, he's a quarterbacks guy. He's a, you know, he understands the receivers and things like that, but sometimes you have to take a personal responsibility and being able to help fix your offensive line. And maybe he's done that, but like this offensive line is bad. I mean, it's just not, it's not good at all. I mean, and I can't really mince words. And I honestly thought that, that Rutgers game was the best display that they put on. I mean, like when it comes to both, even, even though certain times they've lost, they lost a lot of yards. And, you know, even if you look at, what was it? They didn't average four yards a carry that game. I think it was like three and a half yards a carry, but it, they seemed more physical and it seemed like, you know, you finally got some guys in there that were willing to continue to push. I mean, Landon Tangwall looked, he looked really good that game. Um, and honestly, you know, maybe next year when you have more of those guys that, you know, you expect to be the guys and, and you could get some transfers, I think that's what they really need to push on. You need to get beefier up front. You need to be more physical. You need to punch guys in the mouth. And if they can't do that, <laughs> then they're not, they're not going to be, they're not going to be at that national level that people expect out of them. That's just as simple as that. Yeah. And, and I think this is a good way to transition to this Rutgers game. Um, I would say their offensive line performance was the most impressive one. I don't know if it was their best one. Um, they, they had a, a good performance against, against Michigan from a run blocking standpoint, they've passed blocked better than they did. Um, but the sheer fact that they just didn't have anybody available seemingly right. That they, that they would usually trot out there and they were still able to get a little bit of push, have enough success to, to give Christian Bayou enough time to work. 
Um, I think that was uh, that was important in this game, right? Like Penn State dealt with an illness that knocked 21 guys out of the game. 14 of them uh, tried to play through it. Uh, the, the, you know, James Franklin called it the flu. I don't know if we ever found out exactly what it is. I assume it would be the flu uh, that that sort of ravaged the team last week. They played without a bunch of guys and they still managed to win, which I don't know if that says more about Penn State or Rutgers at this point, but it does say something about someone. Um, you know, uh, the biggest thing, though, to me, and, and I'm sure you would agree with this, is that Christian Bayou is. Uh, he's good, you know, he is. I don't want to call him the best quarterback on the roster. That's unfair to a kid who has played one game against a bad defense. But his performance was the most impressive of, you know, the last, I don't know, six weeks, whatever you want to call it, however long it's been, right? Uh, you know, probably since the first quarter of the Iowa game when when Clifford was, was torching the Hawkeyes, even though he had made two mistakes in that game too. So maybe even further back, right? Like maybe you have to go back to like, uh, Auburn or, or Villanova or what have you, but I thought Veyu was really impressive on Saturday. He looked calm. He looked comfortable. Out, he he had a fumbled snap early in the game where <laughs> he's a true freshman playing his first game. It's the kind of thing to expect to happen, but it happened once and then it didn't happen again. He was poised. He was ready to play. He looked like he had command of the offense. He knew when he needed to tuck it and run. He worked through his progressions. He didn't panic when pressure came, uh, to me, he looked like a guy who could potentially be a starter for Penn State down the line. Yeah, and I, I totally don't disagree with that because of his, uh, you know, it, it seemed to me he was he was more than just, it seemed like he was more than just a true freshman out there. It seemed like he was a, you know, a second-year guy out there at that game. Um, I mean, he, he looked poised. He looked like a guy that was unflappable. Um and maybe that just might be Rutgers. Who knows? We don't. I, I don't know. But even even in that situation, I still have to give him his credit because he executed, and that's all that matters. Because anybody, you know, you go and throw many other true freshmen out there, and they would have found every way to screw it up, and he didn't. And not only did he not screw it up, but he excelled. So I mean, it shows me something. The fact that he was able to fit passes into tight windows as well. Um, if I'm not mistaken, that Jahan Dotson play, uh, <clears throat> you know, he fit he fit it into like a really tight window. And I mean, he constantly made passes throughout the game that were, you know, second, third year guy passes. They weren't, you know, true freshman passes. And, um, you know, the more I looked at him, I'm like, he might have been a three star guy. But <laughs> I mean, he was making passes that looked like, you know, four, four star, you know, a, a mid four star guy passes. So, I mean, he, he was doing some good things and, you know, his, his poise in the pocket too, um, where guys are falling at his feet, you know, falling at his knees and things like that. And, and the ability, the ability to step up in the pocket and shake hits too. I mean, the fact that he took some hits and, uh, you know, just pop, pop back up. And I mean, he looked like, you know, a guy that had been there before. So, I mean, they can't, to me next year, he has to be in consideration for that starting job at, at the very least, especially if he continues this. And I mean, based off of, it seems like with what you guys saw from him during the spring game, this is just a continuation of that to an extent, right? Yeah. And, and there was, 
you know, during the spring game, it was more flashy, right? Like there were more flashes than there was consistency, but you could see the peaks of like the peaks into what he could be down the line. Um, and we see in practice sometimes the, the easy arm strength that he has, the ability to just sort of flick the ball and it flies downfield that, uh, that other quarterbacks on the roster don't possess, quite frankly. Um, but I do think to go back to what you said about the Jahan Dotson touchdown, that was the most impressive play of the day for me, not just because the throw was a nice throw, you know, on the run to the outside leading Dotson into the, into the uh, boundary, um, but also because of what it took before the play, right? Like he saw uh, a coverage that he didn't like. He basically saw the defense in cover zero. They were going to bring a blitz and have no safety help over the top with man on the outside. Um, so he checked into what looked like a rub route, which essentially gets, you know, Dotson moving away from the, his uh, defender and man, getting him on the move. You, you want sort of those crossers. You want those, uh, that, those runaway routes in those situations. Um, and rolling out to make that throw, checking to that play to make it a rollout too. Like, I mean, kudos to him for that because that's how you get yourself the right angle to make that throw. You can't make that throw from the pocket. The defender has an angle then. You have to make it from from closer to Dotson, meaning you have to roll right with him. Uh, and he did, you know, and, and he made the throw and it was an excellent throw. It was an excellent look into sort of the, the mental aspect of the game that, like you said, a lot of true freshmen would just not be ready for. Um, I'm with you, though. I think he, you know, we don't we don't know what Sean Clifford's status is going to be next year. We don't know if he's going to be on the roster. I believe he will be 24 next year. Uh, you know, there's a lot that goes into this decision, including just sort of starting your life post-college, right, that I think a lot of people don't consider. like that. Uh, but I, I do think there's a chance Clifford comes back. But if he doesn't, Drew Aller might be really good, and he might come in. Uh, in January and blew the doors off the place and prove he's the best quarterback on the roster. But it would be hard for me to believe that Christian Veyu wouldn't have a say in who's starting next year. And I think that, you know, it's only one game. It's one game against a bad team, but that's an important, an important data point uh, in his progression. And I think it'll tell us a lot about where he's at moving forward. Um, outside of that, this game was ugly. <laughs> the first quarter of this game was just no fun. There was a lot of punting. I was doing a three and out counter on Twitter. It was a bad time, I think, for most people watching it. Um, impressive punting, I will say, from from both sides in, in that matchup. But but yeah, this was a uh, sort of boring matchup until Veyu came in and, and uh, met a fire under Penn State and they started getting their offense going. Like we said, they had an illness that they dealt with um, that, that sort of really, you know, handicapped their ability to to play at a high level because they were without so many guys. But I don't know about you, but I, I don't think there's a ton more to take away from this game. So we can go ahead and move on to Michigan State uh, and, and this team's regular season finale. I believe it's James Franklin's 100th game as Penn State's head coach. Um, what are you looking at and looking forward to most about this game? What matchup sort of has your eye? Well, I know I know the, in the article that we wrote uh, together that I talked about Michigan State's past defense being – you know, just downright awful. <laughs> you know, this is the worst pass defense in college football. Well, I, I guess in the, in the FBS anyway. Um, you know, for them to allow that many passing yards per game, you got to – I I mean, you have to force feed Jahan Dotson. If you can get him – I mean, is it, is it even a question of getting him open or him just finding space? Because, like, I don't, I don't even think you need to scheme him open at this point. <laughs> you might just – I mean, he might just be open. 
And so if that's the case, then you just give him the ball. Um, you know, and I, I think between him, Parker Washington, uh, you know, the tight ends, Keandre Lambert Smith, I mean, get everybody involved, do some, do something to, to just spread the ball around and attack the seams as well. Um, you know, if you want to go double tight and attack the seams, I mean, why not? You know, I, I think this is the time that you have to pull out all the stops. Um, get it's not about getting cute, it's about just brutalizing Michigan State's pass defense, which is bad, you know. And and show them why, you know, you have you have a superior team, I guess, in, in that respect anyway, with the pass defense, I mean, pass offense. So, you know, the, the other thing too is pass protection. That's what, if you're Penn State, that's what you have to be most focused on, you know, is, is the pass protection, giving your quarterback enough time to throw the ball, because if the pass rush can get to the quarterback, it won't matter if the corners can't defend and the safeties can't, you know, help out over top. So, I mean, you just have to be able to protect the quarterback at all costs. And, you know, if they can do that, I think you attack those, you, you continue to attack those corners, um, you know, expose them. Jahan Dotson is the best player on the field. Make it look that way the entire game. Yeah. And, and I think that's the, the key here is like finding Dotson as much as you can find Jahan Dotson. Uh, he is, like you said, the best player on the field, those runaway routes, especially the deep ones he'll be running for a while because this Michigan State secondary, as you said, is atrocious. They got torched by C.J. Stroud, who had twice as many touchdowns as he had incompletions last week against the defense. Now Stroud is you know, more talented than Sean Clifford, but the point stands that the, this is a gettable defense. Uh, so Penn State should be able to put up some points, and if they can't, like that's another damning sign for this offense, right? Like that things have not gone as anticipated this year. They have struggled more than – than we all thought they would. Uh, but I think on the flip side, Penn State's got to find a way to stop Kenneth Walker the third. Um, and the best way to stop Kenneth Walker the third is to make Michigan State throw the ball. How do you make Michigan State throw the ball? By getting a lead. Uh, that's exactly what Ohio State did last week. Walker was limited to, I believe, six carries for 25 yards. Um, had really no impact on the game because of how little he had run the ball. He's a clear Heisman Trophy candidate. Like, one of, is likely to, to find himself in the top five of the Heisman voting. Um, so you don't want him to have the ball that much. If I'm Penn State, I'm making Peyton Thorne throw as much as I can. I'm putting eight in the box, uh, you know, on every play, making them beat guys on the outside in one-on-one situations, making Peyton Thorne make accurate throws against man coverage, um, making the wide receivers beat Tariq Castro Fields and Joey Porter Jr., uh, you know, with, with the safety of the top, whatever it is. Like, I would be doing whatever I have to to take the ball out of Kenneth Walker, the third hand, third's hands, and put it in Peyton Thorne's hands. Um, I just think that is the easiest formula formula for this team. And because of that, I actually think Penn State has a decent path to victory here. Uh, you know, Michigan State, number 12 team in the country, uh, was, I believe, number seven before losing to Ohio State last week, was in the playoff conversation. I still don't really buy it as much as maybe others do from Michigan State, right? Like, this feels like they beat Michigan, which is a great win, but a lot of things went their way to get to this point to be number 12. And I think that could sort of go by the wayside here soon enough. Um, but we may as well wrap with, with our predictions, Kyle, who you got by how much final score. With all that being said, I still have Michigan state 28, 
27. So I, I just think Michigan State edges them out just because I think Kenneth Walker, I mean, I just think he salts the game away just with his – I mean, he's, he's just outstanding. He's one of the best to, to do it this season. So that's what I think will happen. Yeah, and, and I, uh, I went back and forth on this, right? Like the, the formula's there, throw the ball deep, keep Kenneth Walker – keep the ball out of Kenneth Walker's hands. Those things aren't exactly easy to do. Like it is easy to beat them deep uh, as long as Clifford can get the ball down there. Other teams have proven against Michigan State, but it is harder to limit Kenneth Walker. Even if you go go eight in the box, like I said, he still might beat you on occasion. So uh, that being said, I I went with Penn State 20 to 24. I just think this Michigan State defense is going to give up enough explosive plays uh, that Penn State's offense might look like it's sputtering but three or four times it's going to connect deep and it's going to result in a touchdown, especially with how good Jahan Dawson's been. Uh, they might want to commit three defenders to covering him uh, with how he's played this year, right? Like it's, he's been one of the best wide receivers in the country. He's not a Blitnikoff finalist, which I understand there are a lot of great wideouts in the country, but it's a shame considering the, the type of season he's had to put an entire offense on his back as he has done time and time again this year. Um, he was the entire offense in a game against Maryland, right? Like he was, he has been uh, unstoppable at times and deserves all the recognition that he can get. Um, but that'll do it for this week's episode of The Lion Slayer. Uh, you can find Kyle and I's writing at centerdaily.com. Uh, you can find both of us on Twitter at KyleJAndrews underscore. I am at John Sauber. Uh, please rate, review, subscribe the, to the podcast. Uh, you can you can get a discounted rate to the Center Daily Times at centerdaily.com backslash sports podcast. Thank you for tuning in and have a great day.